and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The 1099. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop. I hope you're all staying safe and sound, wearing those masks and social distancing responsibly. This week, I am joined by two very, very good friends from across the games industry. Uh, first up, you know her from her work with Xbox and the What's Good Games crew. It's Rihanna Manuel. Rihanna, Hello. how you doing? Hi, I'm good. Really glad to be talking to y'all this morning. This is uh, some great conversation we're about to have. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very excited for it. And finally, it's the father of all things beautiful and Bronxish from Spawn on Me. It's Khalif Adams. Ka, how you doing, dude? What's good, fam? It's good to see you again. I'm, I'm happy to make the return trip to the 1099 and get to chill with you and Ree. Uh, so it's going to be I a fun day. I was going to say, it was, it, was, it was either going to be something like this or Evo getting canceled. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Lots, lots to talk about yes. in that space, too, in, for sure. In the span of like three hours. What a day. Yeah. Uh, Time mm. means nothing now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, and uh, we, we mentioned it a little bit before the recording, but uh, special thanks to Rihanna for um, helping this show come together. We were kind of brainstorming for uh, two or three weeks there about uh, what like might a, an important but sort of hyper-focused conversation about uh, Black Lives Matter movement and uh, black workers in the games industry and games media. Uh, of course, all the you know major usual channels um, had discussions about the the recent events with the, the protests across the country against police brutality and whatnot. And um, uh, I was like, hey, let's do something a little more focused. That way it's a little more evergreen. And we landed on the topic of code switching in the video game industry. And Khalif, you know, I think you and I, back when we had our first uh, 1099 discussion with just you and me, we talked about like building a community, but I think we did briefly touch on uh, code switching. But it will be interesting to digest what code switching means uh, at length in the games industry, uh, but also in particularly in the age of the COVID apocalypse, uh, as people are working more from home and uh, that segment of their life is taking more of a center stage when they are communicating with coworkers and trying to meet the expectations of their uh, superiors in their workplace. So if that sounds interesting to you guys, uh, I am down to jump into that. Yeah. Let's yeah, let's it. get it. Let's do it. And, you know, I in the research process for this show, I, I ended up landing on uh, waypoints. Uh, of course, uh, the wonderful Austin Walker over there landed on uh, back in 2000. Gosh, it was like 17, I think. Watch Dogs mm -hmm. 2. Watch Dogs 2 came out and uh, at the time was uh, praised for having a black lead and kind of in some ways touching on. Uh, what it's like to be a black person in the tech industry, particularly like Ubisoft's version of San Francisco in the Bay Area. And mm. uh, there is a, I don't know if either of you guys got the chance to watch it. I'll probably play some audio here in the show just so people have an idea. But there is a uh, interesting scene early on in the game where uh, the main character, a black guy, and then a secondary character of the hacker group DeadSec, uh, another black guy named uh, Horatio, uh, go to doodle the google stand-in uh, in this world and they in their own way touch on uh, code switching how there's only like five black employees at uh, that company and they all have like a, an internal email chain that they use to communicate with one another and seeing the characters kind of code switch between talking to each other as black men 
but then switching to a different uh, tone when they are addressing their white coworker Becky uh, was kind of the first time I can think of a video game um, meaningfully and, and somewhat directly addressing code switching in a tech workplace like that. But Carlin, Grody, big day today, huh? I'm excited. How about you? You know, you could just tell us what you've been up to. Where you've been looking, who you've been talking trying to. Trying to get coffee, you What was that? Just trying to get a coffee. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'm sure you'll be more forthcoming with HR. <laughs> Enjoy that coffee. Watch it! Are you new here? Yeah. Punk would love to lay his ass out. I can't stand that mother... Hey, Becky. Uh, to you guys, what what does code switching mean to you guys in your day-to-day -day life? Um, I can definitely speak to that experience of being, quote, the only one in the room. Um, I am a, a cis woman, and I'm also black, so I'm usually the only one in a, in a room, a meeting... Uh, an organization. It's gotten better over the years, and there are definitely moments when um, I move into a space and look for somebody who I can identify with. Um, and code switching to me is like speaking the the status quo language or the acceptable default language until I find somebody who can speak my language. And it's it's really challenging sometimes because there are a lot of layers to my intersectionality, as with most people. Um, but it's hard to find somebody that you can quote unquote vibe with, especially when there's a lot of folks around you who don't share your experiences. So for me, code switching is, you know, speaking the default language until I can find my people. How about you, Ka? Yeah. 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 Code switching is, is really interesting because it's, it's multi-layered, especially for, for me too, where I am often as well, like the only black dude in a space, especially in tech spaces and especially in video games, industry spaces. Um, and for me, it's a mix of, uh, a defense mechanism, uh, aligned with a skill and a tactic uh that you that you wind up having to dig into to navigate spaces that don't feel like your own while also trying to figure out good ways to manage other people's expectations in real time uh so it's a it's a weird um you know ellison we wear the mask kind of thing uh, when you have to dig into it really quickly to pull that magical uh, thing out of your bag uh, to get the thing that you need done. Uh, so so it's, it's multi-layered in, in lots of different ways of what it means, how you use it, how you employ it, um, and how other people react to it, uh, both inside of your friend circles and outside of your friend circles. So um, it's, 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 it's a lot of things all at the same time, for sure. I think a lot of people, uh, for people who uh, already understand what code switching is, you know, there's there's the typical uh, tropes of changing the tenor of your voice, some of your vocabulary as a black person. Um, are there any other uh, perhaps less understood tropes of code switching that, uh, you know, wh white people may not pick up on um, that uh, helps to illustrate, you know, the how you are effectively altering momentarily altering your identity as a black person to uh fit into a place hmm 
That's interesting. I, I mean, I, it's weird. Like, it depends. And I remember I used to do this when I was really young. It was I would because I'm a I love words. Words as a thing are just fantastic. Like the the, the amount of vocabulary was always a thing that always kind of felt different in that way and i would use words that had no fucking reason to be used in certain spaces just because i was trying to fit in <laughs> and make it seem like i was different or kind of relating to folks because i had this idea in my head that white folks were smarter than i was in certain aspects so i would use words that would feel like they were supposed to be uh uh, uh you know more more supposedly eloquent to use in this particular space uh, so that's definitely one thing I used to kind of use as a tactic in that in that thing too. So it was stupid when I think back on it now. I was like, that was so dumb. <laughs> and then of course you get the the people who say uh, that that horrible. Uh, oh, you're you're so well spoken. Uh, is a mm -hmm. con. You speak so well. Mm -hmm. You speak so yeah. well. How about you, Rihanna? For me, a big one is hair, and this is a whole thing. I I can't imagine anybody who's not ever noticed it before, or at least heard people talk about it. Um, I wear my hair in its natural curl pattern most of the time. Sometimes I'll, you know, do a little blow dry or flat iron every once in a year. But um, it's the comparing your hair to someone else's and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do that, too, sometimes. Or when somebody's like, oh, yeah, curly hair, you get it. It's so hard. I'm like, my hair isn't curly. It's kinky. But yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and go along with this dialogue because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable and I don't want you know, to to deny this relationship that the people are trying to build. So it, it's it's a lot of, you know, nodding and smiling and kind of going along with what people are saying as though you identify with it, even though sometimes you don't. When people make references to friends, I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I didn't watch that show. I watched In Living Color. <laughs> like there's oh, no. there's just small there's just small differences, you know, and um, there, there's no shame and not knowing what people are talking about or having a different experience. But there's a lot of times when it feels like you would be making people uncomfortable or putting a roadblock between a, a connection point they're trying to make if you were to point it out. And so a lot of times in like efforts to be kind or to, I, I guess, uh, try to relate to somebody, a lot of times I have denied things that are different about my experience in my reality. So that's probably the thing that bothers me the most that I, I put myself into, uh, the positions I put myself into when I'm not authentic. And a lot of times I feel like I can't be or I would be judged or criticized or uh, miss out on opportunities to speak with certain people if I were to be authentic. And that, that is so uh, indicative, too, of the gaming and the tech industry is there. This is an industry that is very reliant, like a lot of others, but very reliant on networking and communicating and meeting those people who can uh, give you that platform to rise up in a company or make the move to another company for a better opportunity. Uh, are there, since you guys have been working in, you know, either games media through Spawn on Me and What's Good Games or the games industry as well, uh, Rihanna, particularly with your, your contract work with Xbox, uh, has has there been any particular manifestation of code switching uh, that feels a little unique to just this this culture that we inhabit as video gamers and techie business people? Yeah, I'll say from the corporate perspective, there are a lot of times when oh, this is this is a lot to unpack. There are a lot of times when um, 
the room looks to me to make a decision on something or to make a call on something or to give an opinion on something. And a lot of that is because I've done a lot of work and study in the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion space as a corporate marketer. So yes, I have a certain amount of expertise, but there's a lot of times when people say, yeah, what is what about that character? Because they're black. And I I'm honored to be able to speak up for people when I can, um, especially when I do have that background knowledge. But there are a lot of times when I'm not the person to ask and I get put into that position by default. And in the tech space specifically, it's tough because not a lot of people have that training. Not a lot of people have that education and hardly anyone has that experience. So there's a lot of being put on the spot just by nature of being the only one in the room, as we said before. And um, it it's really a challenge because that voice is needed, but sometimes it shouldn't be mine. And you call? Yeah. 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 I think I, I haven't had a lot of that at Intel now because I think a lot of the folks when I came into to working into the spaces that I'm in now, they already knew who I was and the kind of conversations I was having outside of that. So that they had an easy kind of connection to the conversations that I would have privy to in a lot of ways. But I totally agree with Ree about that. It's just like, and it gets it gets really prefaced with the I don't want to ask you because you're the, the black person. I'm like I don't want to ask I've that. I've that too. I, but... I, I did that when we uh, we had our first discussion. I think was like I don't want to treat you like the the scion of black people because uh, that isn't a productive yeah. and, and respectful discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will totally take on the mantle of being the scion for black people. I will. I will do it. Yeah, I'll do uh, it. Uh, I'll, do, I'll it. do it. I mean, if we need it, if we need a scion for black people, I will totally do it. Um, but but it is that it is that interesting conversation of saying like, I don't want to ask you because you're black, but let me ask you because you're black anyway. Yeah. <laughs> which which it is a weird responsibility to have if you want to take that on to yourself. And I think that that's been a thing that I have decided that because of the way that I see lots of conversations happen, not only within the the you know kind of white to black spaces, but even within black spaces where there is a there is a tiredness there's a weariness of having to consistently explain things to white people in lots of different ways in lots of different forms that people are tired and they don't want to take up that that energy and sometimes i will take that up as a feeling of trying to take that off of the other black person other black people i know because i know they don't want to do that work so i'm like i will take that on to myself to do it because i care um in this in that same way but yeah like I think of those things within the corporate spaces and I kind of I kind of try to use that to my own advantage in some ways uh, because I feel like I I have a I have an expertise in blackness that that none of the people in the room have. And if I can speak to that thing in a way that shows them the analogs between the thing that they're trying to get to and my experiences and bridging that gap, I add value to those conversations in a real way. Um, not everyone feels like that. Not everyone wants to, wants to do that work, but it but it has played into my benefit in 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 lots of different ways, while also being extremely tiring emotionally. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point, Ka. Because like in in general, like the more diverse backgrounds, experiences, voices you have in a room, the more likely you're going to come out with a great product, and that's good business sense. It's also the right thing to do. But in a lot of these gaming and tech spaces, it's just not happening yet. 
And so a lot of times we do find ourselves in these positions to try to lighten the load for the few others that are around us because we understand how much it is to carry it. And it's like, you know mm-hmm. what, I got a spare couple of pounds I could take on right now. Sure, let me, I'll, I'll get it, sis. You know, like a lot of times, sometimes the code switching is happening under the radar and we're having those group chats, those side conversations because we understand um, what it's like to take on that emotional burden while also trying to just do your job. Yeah, the, yeah. The, that that topic of the of, of what kinds of conversations you know uh, people of color are having amongst themselves in a in a white dominated workplace is really interesting to me because is that is when you guys are communicating with other people of color in your workplace are are you essentially uh, commiserating or like trying to um, divide that emotional labor in a meaningful way because uh, that that to me feels like. I, I, I've been there as like a, uh, a a leader of a publication or whatnot and trying to like have a private conversation with one side of my team and another private conversation with another side and try to make amends or make sure that both are, are not uh, being dealt a huge amount of labor, emotional or otherwise. Is that kind of what it, it feels like for you guys? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I, I a quick example, a quick story would be um, I was start, I had just gone through my first orientation, my initial orientation into into Intel, um, and it was one other black dude in the space with me. Um, I see him six months later, and you know, you see the people who you who you see in your day to day. Like, I'm going to my office to go get a coffee to do that kind of stuff. Um, and there isn't a, a huge contingency of black folks, at least in the the, the offices that I'm in. Um, and we would see each other and you do that. You do the head nod, which is the, the, the classic, <laughs> yeah. you know, black person. I see you. Yep. Um, and we'd have conversations throughout the, the, the six months to a year that he was working there. And increasingly the conversation would turn from, you know, how are you doing to no, how are you doing? And there's a different timber to that conversation because you're trying to figure out you understand the 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 roadblocks the line the landmines and the kind of things you have to deal with as a black person in corporate america and you know that those things wear on people but we don't talk about those things until you get into good confined spaces right and 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 again like this is a cat that i don't know personally we've only met each other through an orientation but i remember him walking up to me uh and saying yo I feel like every room that I'm in, I'm getting this weird eye for me just saying the things that I say that aren't super like controversial or any of that stuff. He's like, I feel like it's because I'm the black dude in the room. And I was like, one, yes, it's because you're the black dude in the room. And two, use that shit. Like there's a way to capitalize on that thing, not because you are, again, the only black person in the room, but because that blackness brings to the table experiences and angles that no one else in that room will see. And if you use that to your, to your, to your benefit, again, that brings you value, but also you're going to have to try to find spaces to find layers of connectivity and blackness in spaces that aren't necessarily at work to keep you sane. So it really depends, especially because of living here in Portland, Oregon, (laughs) where it's like five black people anyway. Um, <laughs> so you have to do extra work to make that stuff happen in, in really white spaces. So um, and that's a, that's a, a long story to, to get to a short point that is like, yeah, it is commiseration. It is trying to figure out, you know, you know, like-minded folks to be able to talk about stuff. 
that's not about work yeah. <laughs> and work. So yeah, yeah, it's funny, Joseph, when you asked the question, both Ka and I nodded emphatically because yes, uh, <laughs> you find those people, you have the group chats, like you talk about the latest episode of Insecure, like all of those things are happening and divvying up emotional labor at work is also part of those conversations. A lot of times it's somebody saying, you know what, like I can't stand so-and-so has just been on my case and I'm trying to deal with my mom and you know, like the, the cousins doing this and you're like, oh, I got it. I got it. I understand because you understand their family structure and how they've been brought up to take care of everyone around them. And, and I'm speaking specifically of black women and you understand that the, the 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 will to do it is there. But sometimes people just don't have the energy and you know, you're like, you know what? I got time today. I'll help you out. Like those exchanges happen all the time. And it's great when you do have people to commiserate with, but really hard really really hard when you don't i i think one of the things as i've gotten older one of the things i think a lot about is um burnout in the industry and that's been a topic that's been uh, discussed you know ad, ad nauseum uh at, at events like you know gdc and and just in in other casual conversations but uh one of the things i'm thinking about is like you know is games media still the right place for me or do i want you know an added layer of job security and salary by going over to game dev but then of course even the game developer world it's rare to stick in there past your 30s because again the um the the avenues to uh rise up in a company um, are are very few and far between, and it's just easy to burn out in the same position over X number of years. Uh, so I wonder, you know, uh, code switching, um, you know, you, you say like, oh, at Intel, uh, you've got that orientation and you do the head nod with the other black guy in the room, and maybe you've, you've never met the guy, but uh, you've never met him meaningfully, but you still have a few dialogues every once in a while. Um, and that's an example of, of code switching, of course, but how does code switching evolve in ways um, over the years? Like when you hit 10 years at a company, do you find yourself code switching in a meaningfully different way than when you first got there? Mm, not really. Like, I don't think it changes over the like depending upon how long you've been in a space, it changes based on who those other brown people may be in correlation to what you need to get done sure. or who may be a supervisor versus uh, a, a, a straight colleague or peer. Uh, like, I think I think for me, those things haven't changed a lot. Like now I have a black manager. I've never had a black manager in tech ever. I still never have. Um, and it's, and it's interesting when we have our one-on-ones to be able to drop a little bit, like let a layer of corporate down and talk about real stuff. Like, of course, we've had all the conversations around Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and everybody else, uh, with the conversations around Black Lives Matter in the tech space and, and, and around the world. It's been nice to be able to have a person who looks like me, who understands and I don't have to try to figure out how to filter that conversation for a person who just automatically gets it based on the experiences of being a black dude in the world. I just don't have to do that. And I'm infinitely lucky for that because uh, that is very, very rare. Um, 
so it doesn't for me hasn't changed in terms of like how long i've been in a place or, or what that is but it is definitely like you know what what is the connection that you have to the space because honestly there are times when there are folks who are prominent in in black spaces who are black folks men and women everyone in between who depending upon your life ex life experiences they'll totally like no i don't rock with you like that you know, like I'm from the hood. I'm a I'm a Bronx kid from the hood. There are cats who are just like, yo, I've never I summer in places. <laughs> yeah. When summer is a and verb, they're not like, a season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When summer's a verb and not a season, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. We don't share those same experiences. Um, so maybe that conversation then changes. That's a level of code mm. switching that's based on class, class less yeah. than it is based on race. So yeah, there's this put this layers to that too yeah, for sure. Class is definitely a very important layer to to consider, and I guess for me, I've not been in the industry for ten years yet. Um, but I, I'm coming up on five, and it hasn't changed at all for me. Uh, I guess maybe it's impossible to come up with a direct analogy, but I guess maybe a touch point for people would be imagine being the new person in a place, right? You're the new one at the company, the new kid in school, you're the new person in town, and you finally find one or two people who are from where you're from, and you're like, oh, you remember that place around the corner, that old guy at the restaurant who was always sitting at the bar? You know, you have those things that you can use as touch points to, to share your experiences. Imagine at first never having that. And then you never eventually acquire it either because I will never eventually be white. I will never eventually be a man. I will never have that experience as a touch point for most people that I meet, especially in Washington state. So it, it's, it's tough because yes, you can grow accustomed to dealing with being a minority, but it doesn't ever go away. Yeah. And I, I you, you both kind of raised the interesting point about, um, uh, feeling comfortable like sharing your black experiences in a workplace like call you feel lucky to have a black manager and how the class uh barriers do differentiate like you know you're you're, you're talking to the 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 will smith versus the carltons of the world right <laughs> but uh i i think a lot about um uh, recently a good friend reb valentine uh who works for uh gamesindustry.biz uh, left a podcast she's on uh, SDGC and formed her own thing, uh, a cooking podcast. The name escapes me, but uh, a, a like video game cooking podcast. And of course, she did the typical um, like, "Hey, I I'm always looking for friends to join the show." Of course, and five minutes later, she added a tweet to that saying, "Hey guys, the first 15 responses to this were all white dudes." Uh, <laughs> you know, I I I. I love the, all of those guys are my friends, but make sure that, you know, uh, the people of color in the room are feeling, uh, I, I want my, my people of color friends to, uh, feel equally confident in their ability to extend their hand out and say like, yes, have, have me on or like use me as a resource kind of thing. And I think that is, you see that so often in, um, uh, in hiring, uh, discussions where, uh, without naming names, people will say like, you know, uh, well, we would hire more people of color if they uh, applied more. And like, it's it's not that. It's you have to be the one who uh, uh, reaches out and fosters that kind of community. We're getting a little into general stuff here outside of code <laughs> No, this is good. That this stuck good. out to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would, um, I mean, first of all, I, I applaud that response and that follow-up. But I would say to, to Reb or to 
anyone in the similar position, take it a step further. Why don't you have more friends of color? Sure. And why aren't they speaking up when they see you tweet? Have you made yourself available in that way? Right. And granted, it's not a one-way street, but similarly to the the sentiment that you touched on of we can't hire you if we don't see your applications. Well, it's like, why don't you think we're applying? Well, first of all, we are. But second of all, why why do you think we're avoiding you? Um, And a lot of women will probably be able to identify with this sentiment. It's like, if you don't feel safe in a space, you don't go there. Mm -hmm. And tech is a huge, huge, it's a huge, huge problem in tech. Um, as we touched on a little bit earlier, burnout is real and it's even harder for people who don't have those comrades, those people that they can relate to around them to share that burden of doing the work that they're doing and then also just going through the difficulties of their life. So I would challenge everyone to like widen your circle. Ooh, I got to jump in on that because that is so true. Like it is one of my favorite people in this industry is Patrick Klepek. Patrick, if you're listening to this show, I love you. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I fell in love with Patrick Klepek, that should be the name of this episode, <laughs> is because I remember very specifically there was this conversation that happened some years ago when, you know, E3 has the the, the giant bomb has their E3 couches. It's like one of those, you know, things where you if you get a chance to go on to that thing, you know that you've kind of made it, right? And Patrick was one of those folks where he would be there every year and he would he would have his conversations with Jeff Gersman and the rest of the crew. And it got brought up from folks in the black community were like, yo, I never see black people on the giant bomb couch. Mm. I never see black people on the giant bomb couch. And Patrick took a step back and was like, oh, shit, he's absolutely like folks are right. There are hardly ever any black people on the giant bomb couch. And he did some introspection. And he's like, yo, even if I look through my phone book in my phone, I don't have a lot of black people in my circle. Mm -hmm. That's probably a problem. And maybe I should take some time to think about that. That thing has stuck with me forever. Like it gave me so much respect for him to understand that small thing and to then do something about that. Um, And, you know, luckily, you know, he and and, and Austin Walker got a chance to work together at Vice later on. And I'm sure that those conversations definitely were real dope to be able to hear those two in a room kind of talk about stuff. But like Rhea is absolutely right. Like I think about that all the time of just like how tight our circles are from a uh, a racial uh, aspect in that way of like. I see clicks all the time in the gaming industry. And and if we're in those clicks, it is so small (laughs) that, you know, you don't get a chance to, 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 to see and be a privy to those conversations and have those, have those actually one-on-one interactions where you're like, yo, why, why is this space? Why does the space look like this? You know, don't you, we know, you know, people don't act like you don't because we know you do. Yeah. We out here, (laughs) we've been out here forever. And it's one of the reasons why, um, like I, it got clowned on a lot. The whole blacks and Xbox thing it got clowned on a lot from folks in the black industry or, or even folks in the black community who were like, yo, that's, they just used the term blacks as like, they didn't do it in the Trumpian way of just being like, look at my blacks. It wasn't no. that like people self-identified and was like, yo, we are black folks at Xbox as an affinity group. And those Xbox branded supported and sponsored events gave black people a space that I've never seen in the gaming industry before. 
where people were able to just do what they need to do, talk about stuff in real ways. And then also have people mentor other folks in that space. And they got clowned on. I'm like, so what do we want to do here? Do we actually want to continue to foster this space and make people feel like they have a place to be able to grow and have good conversations and build each other up? Or do we want to clown on stuff because a corporate entity let folks self-identify as themselves? It's that's a mini rant, <laughs> but it's like it's 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 annoying that we 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 fight folks who are actually helping to try to do some good work because we don't like the name of a yeah. thing. And that's like, you know, not the not the total not the total we, but like folks have have issue with that stuff. That, that, that was a whole tangent. A, I'm sorry. It's an excellent but, point though because like I, I I've worked with enough corporations to know and, and like slow moving organizations to know that like nothing happens very fast in an industry <laughs> like this, especially tech uh uh and getting initiatives like that to exist and to flourish and to actually affect change in some way probably took years of planning you know to say nothing of the years and years and years of experiences of the people who uh, uh actually organized that event and their lived experiences so yeah like it, you can't satisfy everyone in in events like that um but like god damn it <laughs> let's 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 take a moment to celebrate that there is now a a safer space for uh that community of people to feel like they can have whatever kind of conversation they want without the uh the code switching or the barriers that would traditionally be there yeah yeah and 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 every time that they would throw an event at gdc Every year it would grow with not only the folks who kind of, or the, the usual regulars who would go to that thing, but every year I would see new devs. I would see new people who were like in that space who I'd never seen before. And then the thing that actually was the thing that really made it special was the fact to see Xbox brass there. Mm -hmm. Like Phil Spencer was, would go to that event and like go hang out with folks and talk to them about the issues that they have and do it from a real perspective, which I always wanted, always gave him props for. Um, so like, again, like you need, you need spaces to feel like they're your own, but you also sometimes need people to, to ride with that space and foster it um, and help to grow it. Um, who, who may not necessarily be from that affinity group to help it push along. Uh, you know, switching gears a little bit, uh, before we dive into, you know, COVID uh, specific stuff, uh, I would be very curious to know, I, I don't know if either of you guys got uh, a minute to brainstorm this, but I, I mentioned Watch Dogs 2 as an example of like, okay, here's a AAA game, at least minorly touching on um, uh, code switching in the tech industry. And uh, i pull it up here. Uh, Vice, Austin Walker and uh, Cameron Kunzelman had a really uh, interesting um kind of one of those back and forth articles where they're just writing long emails to one another and then posting it as an article uh talking about like what watchdogs 2 got right and wrong about um blackness and tech uh and i thought that the most interesting point that they raised here um shoot i'll have to pull it up but uh horatio after that scene of horatio and i think the main character's name is marcus marcus uh, yeah yeah yep. played by rough and uh, shout out What's that? Sorry. So I was just to give a shout out to Ruff and Prentice. He's a friend. There you go. <laughs> uh, they, the spoilers for a three, four year old game. Uh, Horatio, <laughs> Horatio is killed later uh, by a like rival gang hired by a crooked politician. And uh, I'm going to pull up the last bit here because uh, it's 
what Austin wrote about basically talking about how games like they're a tight medium when they come to characterization. There's not really room or budget to show the the soccer balls and science kits, the embraces and private jokes. Uh, but basically saying how after Horatio is killed, uh, the game really switches tone and for all intents and purposes kind of really forgets uh, who he was as a character. And now Marcus is once again the only black character uh, in the room um, and doesn't really effectively code switch back again now that he is uh, uh, the only black person there and then once the once the the events of the game have kind of culminated and wrapped up and they've defeated uh the the evil groups and whatnot um no one really takes a moment to remember horatio and uh austin found that really indicative of perhaps maybe who wrote the game or or how it was written because in black communities i mean Yes, the na- the list of names grows longer and longer, um, but we still remember, you know, Breonna Taylor uh, uh, and and so many other Black people who have uh, fallen as a result of police brutality or discrimination, etc. Uh, I wonder if you guys had thoughts about something like that, or if you guys um, knew of any other games that touch on code switching in a uh, meaningful way games that do it? I can I mean tough. yeah that's hard because there aren't well first of all there aren't a lot of black <laughs> there aren't a lot of games that even talk and, and delve into blackness in sure. a real way or that have more from, than one from, from a, from a gr- yeah 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 basically right like um in terms of the conversation around like how quickly we forget I don't I I would I would knowing that knowing that that article was written a while ago I would even say that that doesn't necessarily ring true to me either, where in a world now where the internet is so fast mm-hmm. and sadly more and more people are dying for random things because of police brutality, you know, violence from the state, uh, all, all the things that go along with being black in America, we have like at least two more, two more, two more people who have been hung in the past couple in the past 72 hours and again police police uh precincts are calling those suicides which is is, is doesn't ring doesn't ring true to me <clears throat> i think that there is a space right now where the violence has been so heavy that we often forget the people who have been have been you know killed or murdered because of things so like that layer of it is is one other thing i think of when it comes to the other game that I can think of is like Mafia Three, mm-hmm. which I think did a fantastic job of that because again it was like a story centered around blackness. It is the blackest game I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> where you have a character who is a is a army vet or is a military vet comes back to a world in a society that that hates him, that has built up systems to hate him, and he has managed to not only figure out ways to redeem his own character but work with groups that usually and often hate him too like the conversations around the italian mafia and blackness in a historic sense is a very strife one is one that is filled with strife anyway where there is lots of conversations around how 
the Italian community hated on the black community, but everybody hated on the black community. So it's like there are spaces in there where he's code switching with his FBI cohort, co- cohort, and then also managing the expectations for the Italian mafia that would often usually when you have those conversations behind this closed doors, we call him an eggplant and a mooly while he's also going through the process of doing jobs for them. Right. So it's like you have that weird minutia of him having to navigate spaces to get to it, to get to the revenge that he's always tried to get to. So that's the only other game that I can think that is really like delved into that thing in a real way. Um, but they also had a black writer on staff who did that work. Charles Webb, shout out to Charles Webb. So, you know, it, it is few and far between uh, in terms of being able to have that conversation in a real way. So, yeah. Rihanna, can you think of anything or? Uh, I'm really struggling. Like, I'm struggling to think of any time in any game where two or more black women talk to each other. So, mm. there you go. <laughs> no, I mean, hey. It- the The... the- <laughs> indicative of the of the industry itself yeah is that there's there's not that many black stories uh in the first place yeah i didn't know if the don't touch my hair game had black women talk to each other hair gnaw yeah hair hair gnaw um or i don't know if there was a narrative in that game i didn't play it one of them only only other one i can think of maybe is like neocab but even then I don't even think so in that game. I played either, Neocab, and I don't remember any particularly, yeah, person of color or storyline. Like they, they definitely touched on like Bay Area segregation and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I know that that game I was written or at least like creative directed by a white guy. So uh, I, I gotta wonder about mm-hmm. that. One, one other game before we dive into COVID. One other game I, I did think of while I was kind of uh, digging up some research points for this talk was. Um, uh again showing my my waypoint loyalty uh was <laughs> awesome walker talking about sign of the sojourn which is part of the uh itch racial justice bundle you can get right well you could have gotten for five bucks um and in that game you play there's two brothers one whom like their mother dies and one stays back in the hometown to tend to the store and the other goes on this massive caravan routes like selling goods and trying to get cool stuff to bring back to the uh, home store. And uh, the way you communicate with people over the course of this caravan is with cards. You're building like a deck and uh, the cards are all like square or triangle or uh, circle and other basic shapes. You're not using words, you're kind of using shapes. And there will be points in the game where... uh, a a another person will like communicate to you with a a triangle but you don't have any triangle cards in your deck uh so that communication just can't happen and to me that kind of struck me as uh the way people code switch and communicate in a workplace where uh, you know if you're a clueless older uh white manager um you may not be able to understand um the the issues and concerns that your black uh, workers and employees are uh, bringing to you because you don't have that frame of reference yet and I know I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive sign the sojourn was written by uh, white people so it's not like an exact one-to-one uh, uh, you know attachment there but I was like okay that that to me rang true as far as gamifying 
a lack of communication or the lack of an ability to communicate meaningfully yeah i think there was only one other game that i can think of that just popped into my mind and it was a a uh, not great attempt at kind of getting to that space and i think the the it was called we are chicago which came out yeah we are chicago was it was a was a good attempt at trying to get that done co-written by a white and a black dude um but it just never got to that space because it wind up feeling tropey mm-hmm. um but it was a uh, you know that this young white kid who wanted to try to bridge that gap and try to get to that space i give him props for even attempting mm-hmm. it because it's not a thing that's easy for a lot of white devs to even say i'm going to spend a couple of years to try to get this right and even if it doesn't hit it on the head uh doesn't nail it um i think i think for me i will say this as me um i want to give some white devs the the ability to to try to get, dig into that space in a real way uh, but they need black people to help them guide through that conversation um so it, it was it was an interesting and, attempt and then, for sure we you, we kind of touched on this earlier before but having a black person on the team or a black writer in the room isn't enough because we do try to speak up for ourselves and for people who are like us when we can, but not not any one of us represent the entire culture. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen Insecure or if you've looked into different media that help that represent this in a really realistic way, we're not all the same. <laughs> we don't all have the same morals, values. We don't all summer. We don't all like come from the hood. <laughs> like we're very different and and it's it's not enough to just call one person or just have one reference point. Like you really do need to know people who are living a different life than you are in order to understand where they're coming from. And, and as you mentioned, like if you're a manager trying to guide or counsel or, or, you know, help people along in their career path and you don't have any idea what their life has been like, you're going to have a really hard time. So I go back to expanding your circle, like, do more to get to know more types of people. And, you know, speaking of letting people into your life and uh, uh, getting getting a broader understanding of what people's lived experiences are, we live in the age of COVID. We are all, uh, we're about to hit <laughs> wave two, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. Texas has issued, like, mandatory masks order. Uh, the governor of California just put, like, 19 counties on watch. And uh, we're, <laughs> we're, we're okay here in Alameda, uh, Berkeley, California, where I'm living, but uh it's it's definitely about we're about to hit a new wave of uh, craziness here so i would love to talk about we're, we're in this time where so many of people in games and media do now exclusively work from home um my my cohorts at ign are all working from home uh numerous game developers are working from home and games are are still coming out but uh and still happening but the process has changed and i i have to wonder if uh you know you guys as black people consider what your background looks like at home when you're on a zoom call with your workers and that part of your life uh was that was previously hidden or you know uh just minimized let's work at you know let's worry about work at work uh have you guys started to uh uh, experience code switching in your home absolutely um I've been doing a lot more video work than usual um, and yeah. doesn't look like it's slowing down. And I've put a lot of that into my background. Um, this does happen to be an office that I does designed and decorated with my mom. Um, 
and it's something that we intentionally like laid out so that my camera angle would have my degrees on the wall both of them I have an undergrad and I have a master's a lot of people assume that I don't uh, I have all of my books on a shelf. I have my games here. So you know that, oh, yeah, I did play those games. I can name four original Xbox games. <laughs> name like, the original album, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like I've honestly tried to legitimize myself in this space with my background. And I don't know if it has worked or if there are people who would decide that I don't know what I'm talking about or I don't deserve to be in the places that I am, if, if it would affect their opinion on me or not. But this is definitely something that I intentionally formed in order to put myself in a better position. Hmm. Mm. How about you, Kyle? That's dope, actually. I, I I mean, for the folks who can't see my my room right now, uh, it is not a place that has actually been like pushed into a space where I can do some design work yet. Like, I want to make my space blacker <laughs> in lots of different ways. Like, I really want to. Th- like, when I think about it, and this is going to make make my make my grandma laugh you know wherever she is in, in whatever ethereal space she may, may may rest but like i remember a very specific conversation that we had about uh those big black those big wicker chairs that you would see in lots of like uh, old panther pictures so you have like huey p newton sitting in a big ass pit in a big ass wicker chair and, and that was like a sign of how black you were <laughs> uh because it was like back in old uh 90 oh, like 80s new york you would go and sit and they had these huge wicker chairs and you would sit in them and they'd be like on the sidewalk and you would take pictures of them and it was like the the brother man sister brother and sister like here's your blackness photo um i i i want i want to showcase my blackness in lots of different ways it's usually not in this room it's usually in my living room we have a big black santa that sits in there uh i haven't found a a, a couple of other like really pro-black stuff yet that I would fit into this space. But it is a thing I think about uh, often of like, how do you make a space yours so that it does feel like when the people who do get to see your actual life and living spaces, how do those people kind of like come to it? Um, I just haven't had enough space to actually do that work with, but it is a thing I think about for sure. I I think it's worth pointing out not to like get too into uh, your business and your life, Rihanna, but of the of the three people on this call, of course, you know you got two guys and one woman, mm-hmm. and uh, you are the one who, like you mentioned, you have those degrees on your wall. You have the shelf of games and books and and movies and whatnot, and you have it's it's very clearly a designed articulated space. I have my kitchen there with the dishes I've been ignoring <laughs> uh, for two days. And, you know, Kali, if you have uh, a room that's like been kind of, I, I remember that room that I've seen it a couple times before. It's, it's just a casual room where like some of your stuff goes cause you're, you know, living with your wife and whatnot. Uh, it, it speaks to the way the gender dynamic probably impacts like it, it is another element of emotional labor and physical labor, I suppose, too, to say like, hey, you know, you're you're a woman in the games industry. You should probably have all your trophies and mm-hmm. uh, and gravitas on display uh, to lock in that cred. Right. And I imagine that that's something that's been very much on your mind in the last uh, few months. Yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. It sucks that it has to be, but like as Kyle was saying, you know, I'm, I try my best to use everything I can to my advantage. Um, 
if people are going to judge me for the state of my home, well, this is what they're going to see. Yeah. So um, it's just another way that we communicate, right? Code switching is a type of communication. If I walk up to Ka and I'm like, hey, what's up? Like in a certain tenor of voice or I say something to him in AAVE, he knows, okay, we have something we can connect on. And that's how you become closer to people. That's how you begin working with each other. You mentor each other and you push each other along. Um, if somebody's seeing that I have two degrees on my wall makes them feel like they can connect with me easier, well, I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and show them. Sure. You know, it's not something that I feel like I need to say, need to put on display to prove myself. It's just like, hey, there's a lot of things to me. Yes, I'm black. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I have awesome purple hair. But I also play every single console. I also read comics. I also have lots and lots of Disney movies and original <laughs> Nickelodeon films on my wall. Like, there's lots of things that people can connect to when they talk to me. And I want them to know that so that they they understand that, yes, I am an intersectional human being. There are more than just my skin color or my gender that we can talk about. And that helps when you're trying to network and get to know people and move into these spaces where people are usually just looking for folks who they already know. And I mean, too, I, I researching, I um, saw a CNBC article uh, relatively recently um, talking about uh, working from home in this day and age for uh, presenting challenges to minorities. Uh, I got a quote here. Respondents also identified a lack of physical space to work as a key issue. Uh, census data shows that black households have 20% more people and Hispanic households have 80% more people compared to white households, which can result in concerns about background noise, distractions, as well as basic concern about lack of space. Uh, obviously, I don't think anyone here on this call is too worried about, um, you know, a, a child like running in. And <laughs> that would be frightening all... for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. Seeing as how yes. I am childless. <laughs> Go back to wherever you came from. <laughs> Whose yeah. kid is this? Uh, but like that, that's so true. I've, I've listened to podcasts with people of color on it where their kid shows up and walks in and like, if it's cute, you know, they don't edit it out. Uh, but you can tell like when there's been a cut, you know, cause someone had to be like, oh shit, my kid, my kid uh, uh, just ran into the room or like hurt themselves or something. My therapist I was talking to on the phone uh had his kid uh like ru run away for five seconds he's like crap i i have to like stop this you know call with you and go there so i i wonder what that must feel like for uh the black and hispanic community to know that uh the way the way that they live with their family like the family unit is so important in uh, uh people of color communities that to have that intruded upon in Zoom calls uh, also must force a certain amount of code switching too. I would hope not though. Like, because uh, uh, at this point, we're all just living in this COVID life. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, like everyone has to give everyone else some grace to be able to say like, oh, well, you're a parent and oh, you're doing the labor of, you know, managing your child while you're doing a nine to five job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If people are going to, if you have to code switch your life in that way, that just means that the other people on the other end are assholes. <laughs> like, like for, for sure, for sure. Like my, one of my other managers, like he has kids around him all the time. Cause he has young children who are needy and want to be with their daddy. And they are like, yo daddy, I love you. And what am I supposed to do? Like, yo, tell your kid to calm down telling you that he loves you. 
what kind of asshole am I to do <laughs> to do that kind of work? So it's like you know, uh, I, yes, I think that the, of course those stats ring ring true to me because I you know there's a conversation there about generational wealth. Mm. There's a conversation there about um, um, wealth within your own ecosystem, within your own families, and how that you know how taking care of your your extended family usually comes in mm. the form of having them live with you and doing that kind of stuff. That's a totally different conversation. Yeah, that's, a, that's one worth having too. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, like there is beauty in that thing, in that, in that space that we don't, not even as just like people across different racial lines, but as, as an American society where we don't, we, we, we think of that as being a detrimental thing which is is kind of sad we see it in a lot of other cultures where they they hold up their elderly they they care about the older folks in their communities they they, they treat them well um while we kind of put them in a home and make them disposable all another conversation for sure but like you know if you're having to worry about code switching because your kid was, was was crying or laughing <laughs> or whatever like don't do that there's no reason for that yeah i mean i hope uh, there's a lot of things that i hope that we all take away out of this this hell of a year, but one thing that I hope is is starting to change at least is the way people view a family structure in their coworkers. Um, I have a coworker who is not black, but they have a kid. They take care of their parent as well, and they're constantly being interrupted on their calls. And I don't care at all. Um, and it doesn't impede the way they work. It doesn't keep them from being productive. It's just the fact that they don't have privacy right now. Hardly any of us do. And I hope that that is something that can become an equalizer so that folks don't view it as a racial thing or something that only certain people experience um, on average. And that it's really quite universal to share your space and to share it with family and to be interrupted whenever you're at home. Because if you're not leaving to go to work, you really don't have any control over what happens on the other side of your camera people of color being centered in so many uh, urban communities too and and living with um, uh, a higher density of population too that like ever since I moved uh, out of suburban Illinois and like I moved I've lived in LA for a year and even though that's spread out like it's obviously incredibly dense in many areas and now here in uh, Berkeley even as white as it is uh, living with that high density of population has kind of changed how I think of like you know, I, I had a neighbor ask me uh, just like yesterday, uh, hey, this little old lady like can't get down the stairs on this path to get her mail. Can you just get it once a day for her? I was like, hell yeah. Like, let me let me be a part of my community and like let me like understand, you know, the, the, the struggles that this other person has to go through. And like, I'll, I'll use my able bodiedness to uh, to help out in that respect. I think um, we'll wrap up here with uh, one last question. Uh, I, I have to wonder, too, about, um, uh, I guess this could factor into the background space and the way that, you know, uh, code switching might take place in the home. But it's interesting to think about um, uh, the coding of professionalism in the games and media industry where culture and a workspace that seems largely okay with hoodies and T-shirts and jeans, sneakers, whatever, uh, but you see a lot of quote unquote professional attire is coded as, you know, a white guy's suit and tie or a, a white woman's like skirt and blazer. Um, do black people 
I, I know black people like experience workplace attire discrimination. Uh, but in the games industry, is that a thing that you guys have feel uh, have felt pressure uh, on, or is is that kind of a non-issue since this is already a very West Coast centric uh, uh, community, and like you still you know see CEOs walking around in hoodies. I personally have found that class is more of a strong line of division rather than race or even background in general because the the tech and specifically the gaming industry is so casual and you don't need a bespoke or tailored suit in order to be successful in the gaming industry. Um, It could help, I guess, but it's really not a requirement. And um, I mean, there, there is no version of that that I have personally seen where I've been made to feel uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, not not directly within the gaming industry. I've seen some bummy rich people yeah. <laughs> in the gaming industry who are wealthy as hell and look like garbage. <laughs> um, but I think I, it's, it's the, the one time, a couple of times I have seen some of that stuff weirdly work has not been directly because of people who I know in the industry, but has been because of things that are tertiary to it or things that are connected to it, like private parties. Mm. Are really interesting when it comes to the gaming industry in that way where it won't be the people who are going to the party it won't be the people who run the party it'll be the people who organize the event they'll see you come to the thing and they'll be like well what are you doing here that kind yeah. of thing uh i've seen more of that where they're like well uh, you know who is your invite from but then they'll let somebody else walk in who doesn't look like me pretty easily um but that is that i don't think that that's gaming industry specific i think that that is just like you know uh, gatekeepers being gatekeepers for whatever their racial prisms may be um and keeping people uh gatekeeping gatekeeping people out of a space because of those things um yeah i i gotta ask too uh uh, this question popped up how do how do you think companies we we all for the foreseeable future are still going to be working from home um and it's it's easy enough to read stories about workplace discrimination and see like okay i can draw i can draw a point a to point b about how this discrimination was called out and then acted upon or not acted upon um but in in the zoom call world that we are all in how do you think companies can like better I guess, monitor implicit biases that could like be impacting their workers when, you know, like I'm not, I'm not in an office with you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, reading your body language the same way, or I'm not hearing um, the moment to moment uh, uh, dialogues you're having with other coworkers. If that question makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It's a really good question. And um, one that I don't think there's any one size fits all answer to. It really will depend on the company, the size, the location of their their workforce Mm. and lots of different things. But I think the most important thing is to just ask questions if you're not sure. Right. Like if you are a manager, you have, you know, say five people that you're trying to get on a meeting, ask them when the best time is. And if it's during normal work hours, if it's not, you know, if they're international and you're trying to figure out a good common time for folks like just be open to hearing their feedback and their input. Um, as we s- touched on before in this conversation, like we're all very different. Like not all black people are going to want to meet at the same time. <laughs> like not all all Hispanic people are going to want to like wear a certain thing to work. Like th- this isn't a, a thing where you can say you are this. So then that. Um, so just ask people what they want, how they want to be treated, what their preferences are. 
And for HR, I know it's going to be a little bit difficult when we all come back and everybody's reforming their relationships. But just be open and honest and inquisitive and and listen to people when they tell you what they want or what they need. If somebody is taking care of four different generations of people in their home and they say they can't meet after four, listen, they can't do it. And they have perfectly valid reasons why they can't. It doesn't make them any less effective or good at their job. So that would be my advice. Just ask and listen. I love that. Um, Another thing is don't ask everybody to be on camera. Yeah. True. Because that's a huge thing. There's an expectation that I think goes along. Like there's an interesting expectation that goes along with your camera being on and laziness. Mm. Which I think is which I think is really interesting. If you're like, oh well, you didn't put like two two sided one laziness and two being a team player, mm. which I think is really interesting in that space of being like, oh well, you weren't on camera, so you're not really like involved or you're not really, you know, uh, as uh, excited to be doing this work as as the rest of your fellow colleagues. I think that that's been an interesting turn uh, because of all that stuff. Um, I think another thing is like. The, the connection between the fact that everyone is home and how society is 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 affecting them within that space too like i have had numerous conversations with folks within intel and other places that i've ever worked about like having a black mental day off and why yeah. that's important mm-hmm. um to say like hey the world is heavy these things are affecting me i may not make this meeting or I may not make this call because I just saw how many other hashtags today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a thing that our community and folks in our community will absorb and then have to figure out how to do work the next day without supervisors who are privy to those conversations and privy to that societal push against you, understanding the mental toll that that puts on a person who is actively being involved in the world around them. Right. Because white people can take days off of that and not poke into those conversations and not be privy to those this is those things. I hear it often enough where I hear managers and other folks say, um, I had no idea that that was happening. Mm. And I'm like, well, there's a reason why you don't know that's happening. Yeah. Um, you may want to investigate that a little bit internally. Um so I think that that's a huge part of the conversation too, is like in this now COVID world, people really don't know. And I don't think that they will for a while, how all of this has actually affected not only the way that we work, um, how we work with each other, but how much of society's impact affects you because you don't have places to go and let that out. Mm. Um, so I think that there's a lot of conversations in there too, that, that, that we should be poking at and that supervisors and folks in your in the workplace need to really address from an HR perspective from a from a foundational uh, uh, structural uh, conversation of what that's going to look like going forward when you go back to work because I know I've taken days off of work just to be like yo this week is heavy yeah and people were like yo Kyle where were you at we needed you for this like yo I saw seven black people die this week yeah I don't know what to do with that energy I don't know if I'm gonna get you that spreadsheet you know what i mean so it's like those are conversations too that that people need to have to make people better so yeah yeah. absolutely i can give two quick examples of things that have happened at least in my org at xbox uh xbox marketing um we as an org all had juneteenth off and we were given a list of things to watch listen to read if you know we have the bandwidth for it 
Um, and it was highly encouraged by all of the managers. It's like, yeah, go go watch 13th. Like, go look at June Justice. Like, look, like figure out what it is that you don't know that's happening right now and learn about it. And this is literally a day off to educate yourself or care for yourself if you're already there and already feeling the weight. Um, that's a very easy thing. Use a floating holiday. You know, give it to everybody that you're managing and let them know, like, hey, I'm here if you want to talk. But we also have these mental health resources through our employee benefits. Like, point people to to ways to know better and then do better. And and that's part of making sure that your workforce is healthy mentally and emotionally so that they can do the work that, you know, getting that spreadsheet to whoever. Because it's hard to care about a spreadsheet when you've spent the last 24 hours crying over Philando's daughter. That's where I was when he was murdered and I couldn't go to work that day and my manager understood. So again, it's about asking people what they need and listening when they tell you and not making your own judgments or putting yourself in their shoes because you can't wear them. You just have to tell, you have to trust that they're telling you what they need. Yeah. And then, and recentering that focus on emotional labor, it seems to the, 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 phrase you know are you a team player eventually needs to be turned around from hey loan employee are you a team player to hey company are you are you a team player for the actual team that you're employing and uh, uh cognizant of the, the lifestyle that they have to lead uh because of their identity and how it, yeah the, that that emotional labor that's why I, I I've had you guys on this podcast now. And then last week I had um, uh, the lovely Natalie Flores from Fanbite on to talk about the last of us part two, uh, a, a Latin uh, ex woman. And uh, I, I was trying to stay aware of like, Hey, I know that this is emotional and, and real labor for you. Like, so let me, let me pay you some amount of money uh, to make it like actually worth your while because I don't want to, uh, exploit um, the 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 lived experiences for clicks, right? I want to make sure that you're uh, compensated in some way. But yeah, a bit of and a bit of a right way to do it. Exactly. Yep. Uh, sure. but, yeah. Uh, any final closing thoughts from you guys before we kind of wrap up and uh, let people know where to find you? I kind of want to call back to that Vice article that you you referenced before because there was a really yes. great quote in it that truly resonated with me and i think this is one from cameron was it Kun- kunzman i don't yeah, know how to Kunzelman. say his last name from mm-hmm. yeah. from cam and um and one of his, the experts from his letter he said it's about navigating lots of different contexts with lots of different strategies some of which are joyful and others that are decidedly not and what code switching boils down to for me is exactly that there's some amazing things that i can communicate with people who share my experience and they're great they're fun. They're dope. We feel really cool. We have a moment that's for us. And there's others that are fucking terrible. <laughs> and it really does change depending on the situation and the context. But the the long and short of it is you, it, it's comforting to have people around you who understand you. And that's all code switching really is, is knowing when you don't think you can be understood. So you change the way you speak or act and knowing when you can be understood and finding a little bit of relief and camaraderie in that. 
yeah, I, I, I really like another quote in there too. Um, from this is from Austin Walker. Uh, if you are on the margins of America, life can seem meaningless. When black, brown, and queer folks are killed, there is so often a twofold tragedy: first, the death, then the forgetting. I think even before we were uh, recording, we we mentioned, uh, uh, you know, the the dip in energy in the world now that you know other things have taken the 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 CNN chirons around <laughs> around the world. Um, if Ubisoft really truly felt like Horatio's death was necessary, then he could have at least been another black man remembered by his community. Instead, his death makes his entire existence feel tacked on another disappearing body. Um, that that has less to do with code switching than uh, just the general black lived experience. But um, if we could have more games, yeah, engage on that level. If you're going to engage with black lived experiences, at least engage with what it actually means to um, also see those experiences, those lived experiences ended, right? But yeah, yeah. and 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 also you need to have more of the breadth and depth of those black experiences within the game space and the conversations we have like the the beautiful part about marcus was marcus was the person who i knew going to college like marcus <laughs> is the young cat who was that kid from the orientation mm-hmm. you know what i mean like that is you know that is the thing that i when i think about that character why he rang so true to me and so many other folks was that he was us yeah. in lots of different ways um, and that was the beauty of the writing for that particular scene and for that character, for sure. And I'm, and I'm hoping that in terms of the ability to broaden out the conversation around code switching in games in particular, is that we see more of those pieces come together in real ways. I think of Treachery and Beatdown City as one of the best versions of those conversations through a very New York lens too, which then speaks to me, speaks to me in a, in a even more specific way of understanding how we talk to each other in confined spaces and in spaces that are ours. And sometimes it's a little bit sad that other folks get to see that because it does feel like for black people, we don't get to embrace and have things that are, are, are just for us often. Right. Um, so sometimes the magic through memes and through pop culture and through vampirism and through vulturism, vulturism, that's not a word, uh, <laughs> vultures in the space, culture vultures in the space. Um, we sometimes get to lose the beauty of that stuff because it then becomes public mm. and then gets commodified and then gets a thing to become a thing that gets hot and then everybody wants to use it and buy it and, and pay into it. Um, so I would say if there are ways to keep that code switching stuff and in, in energy to your confined spaces, hold on to that. Cause that stuff is like the beauty of the culture, um, that we don't get to necessarily see on display until it already has been shared out. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my, my last two cents on that part for sure. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the 1099. Uh, I really, again, appreciate all the uh, emotional labor you go through to uh, be focal points during discussions like this um, and taking on that labor. Uh, and I obviously we haven't uh, even begun to solve many of the issues that plague the game industry, but... Um, I hope that the 1099 and all the other conversations that we're all a part of can be those kind of launching platforms for uh, uh, people to get the right frame of mind 
uh, going forward. You know, if a if a manager listens to this, or if just a mid level uh, coder in some company sees this and uh, has their way of thinking changed and positively impacted, that's good enough for me. So, where uh, where can people find your work uh, if they want to keep up with you, Rihanna? Yeah, I am at Rihanna Tweets now on Twitter. That's R-I-A-N-A, no H's. And uh, I'm also quite often on What's Good Games, What's Good underscore games. I co-host a podcast every once in a while, and I may or may not start streaming a little bit more on their Twitch channel. So Yay. that's where you can find me. And how about you, Kaw? Uh You can find me at Spawn on Me is the uh, at for the show, at Kajakins on Twitter as well. Uh, consider us to still be the premier podcast spotlighting people of color in the video game industry. Check out our um, in, uh, Lesson in Blackness episode. Uh, that one required some, some, required reading that one yeah like i think that one thank you re um again it, it continues to spotlight and put a good focus on conversations that we're having in our community within the folks that we're having it with um and and i think it's given a lot of folks outside of our circles some good things to think about in terms of the way that they want uh to maneuver uh in black spaces when it comes to the gaming industry so definitely check out that episode for sure I'll link that one in our show description in case folks are interested. Yeah. And folks, you can always find a new episode of the 1099 mostly every week, uh, unless someone cancels on me. It happens. Uh, and, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Joseph Noop, J-O-S-E-P-H-K-N-O-O-P. And feel free to let us know what you thought of the conversation. Feel free to share things out. And please do uh, let Khalif and Rihanna know that you appreciate them coming on the show. And we will see all of y'all next week. Stay safe.